This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Resurrection, I am so overjoyed to um, have the opportunity to make an introduction that many of you do not need, but some of you may need as Archbishop Benjamin Kawashi comes up to preach. Before I say more about Archbishop Ben, I want to make sure that we have a chance to just receive uh, just Mama Gloria's greetings. And Mama, if you would just stand so we can welcome you to our cathedral this morning. It is such an honor to have Archbishop here. He preached his first time at Resurrection 21 years ago. It was 22 years ago that I roomed with him in a kind of random roommate situation at a seminary class out at a seminary in Pittsburgh. After a week of rooming with him, our beds were literally about seven feet apart in a small attic apartment. I realized that I had found one of those people that I would do all I could to spend the rest of my life learning from. Because I realized that in meeting Archbishop and Mama was a man and a woman who would pay any cost for the sake of the gospel and for Jesus. So I determined then that I would learn how to obey the word of God and to live a life as closely as I could to Archbishop Ben and Gloria. Their life has been marked by striking persecution after persecution in their work in northern Nigeria and Jos. Health calamity, Archbishop is, is, is recovering, and he'll say more about what God has done in his second round of cancer in the last two and a half years. Their life is marked by a fruitfulness of church plants, evangelism, care for the unseen, So suffering and fruitfulness of what beautifully mark their ministry, just like Jesus' ministry. They have adopted over 60 children. They have six birth children, and that wasn't a slip of the tongue. The verb was correct. They've adopted 60 children. There's 66 Kawashi children, plus in-laws and grandchildren. And they then educate and resource and care for and nurture Lord over 400 children at their ministry that we at Resurrection have had the honor of being a part of for several years. But most importantly, Ben believes the Word of God. And he's come this morning to share the Word of God with us, that we too may believe everything given us in the Word of God and everything given us in Jesus Christ our Lord. Mama, Archbishop, welcome to Resurrection. Please come and minister God's word to us. A warm welcome to Archbishop. Thank you very much, my Lord Bishops, George, and Mama Catherine, we had a wonderful dinner yesterday, their home. I enjoy eating Mama Catherine's food because it's the closest I can get to Nigeria. <laughs> and she cooks African, except that the chicken is not African. 
thank you, people of resurrection, for your welcome. And for my Lord Bishop, like he said, we met more than 20 years ago now, and the relationship continues to grow as we partner in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In June, I was diagnosed again to have a liver ca cancer. So I went and came back with Gloria, and the surgery went well, and uh, about two weeks ago, the blood results came to 0, 0.00, so I'm literally now cancer-free. If I was alone, God knows my heart. I would have just gone. And there is a sense in which the Bible knows the kind of peoples we are, and he gives us those people to partner with us for the sake of what he wants to accomplish in our lives for his glory. And in my case, Gloria is one. She is solid. And I had to look again at the scripture passage which Peter gave, at the women are weaker sex. I'm not so sure, but we will discuss that when I get to heaven with Peter. <laughs> because Gloria proves otherwise in my first cancer and in my second cancer. Thank you so much, Gloria. Today is the first Sunday in Advent and it's the opening of the Christian year, but a reminder to Christians that Christmas is near when Jesus was born. But it's also a reminder that Jesus is coming again. There will be no more Jesus, baby. It will never happen. What's going to happen is that Jesus is going to come back and the trumpet shall sound. And there will be judgment. Thank God I'm not God. But God will judge the world. He has done it before. And he's done it again and again in Israel. So get it straight. The history in the Bible is not a novel. It's a story of what God has done. God has always done consistently. And what God will do. So we celebrate Advent about what God will do. And we're looking forward to what God will do. We are lookers. We are not stargazers. We literally are lookers of what God will do because he's coming again. It's not a fairy tale. It's not fantasy. It's real. If you doubt it, look at the first reading. Isaiah 2. There, Isaiah prophesied that a time is coming 
When this one anointed by God shall teach the whole world. And it happened. Jesus did come. His teaching is everywhere in the world. It is suppressed, but it's everywhere. That Jesus died, Paul tells us, according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15. And that Jesus was buried according to the scriptures. And that Jesus was raised according to the scriptures. The scriptures contain literally God's eternal plan before the foundations of the world for our salvation, for me in Nigeria, for you in America, and indeed anywhere in the world. So I don't want you to be in doubt that Jesus is coming again. In fact, his disciples were in doubt. So the gospel reading for today gives us a picture. But could we go behind to verse 1 of chapter 24? The disciples were looking at the beautiful temple, and they said to Jesus, who's also a Jew, because the temple is the symbol of the presence of God among the Jews. Is that presence? And Jesus looked at this temple, correctly viewed, is the presence of God with the selected children of God. And Jesus said to them, not a single stone will be left. Hey, excuse me, Solomon built this and you are telling us it's all going to come down? then what will happen to us? Jesus says, not a single stone will be left. And it happened. Jerusalem was overrun AD 70. They scattered. The temple was destroyed. It's still in shambles. What God is teaching us, them and us, from the scriptures, is that when Jesus comes, nothing else matters. Amen. No, 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 don't pick on anything else. I have tremendous respect for mighty nations around the world, and I've been to them, and I respect them, and I honor them for what they have done and for what God has done through them. But friends, no nation can save you. Nothing can. If Jesus doesn't save you, nobody can. So in our reading, the part which we are at is the presentation, not of the destruction of Jerusalem, but now the coming of Jesus. So he gives his disciples two pictures. First, of what will happen shortly, but what will happen at the end of time. And we have no reason to doubt it, because everything Jesus has said, he has done. Everything the Word of God has predicted has come to pass. This time around, it wasn't prophets. It is Jesus himself, the Son of God, who predicts not only the destruction of the temple, but the coming again of himself. 
but he gives a couple of things that <laughs> they are so strong the way Jesus says them as to discourage the faithful. The first one, he says, there will be false messiahs, liars who will come out and say they're, they're, they're sent by God. And they might even do miracles, but they are false. They will come and deceive many. Second thing Jesus says from verse 78, he said, there will be wars and rumors of wars. But the third thing Jesus says, there will be betrayals. Betrayals amongst the children of God. There are much betrayals, painful, painful betrayals. And many will fall away because of betrayals. There will be false prophets. They will arise. As they, some go down, more will arise. But in all of these, verse 14, Jesus says, the gospel shall flourish. In the middle of all of these, the gospel shall flourish. Dear friends, whenever we talk about the end of this world, or the return of Jesus. Most people immediately get into spe speculation mode. When will it be? Some enter into arguments. It will never happen. Others avoid the topic altogether. Some in the church bring out calculators. This happened and begin to pin them out from biblical prophecies. Jesus points to the fact that speculations about the time and prophecies will not solve the problem of the fact that he is coming again. And he warns that the only thing believers need to do is to watch and walk in faith. No one knows the time. The return of Jesus will be visible. <clears throat> no one knows the time, but it will be visible by the whole world. Everyone will see him. The whole world will see him. Let me point out three things in this teaching very quickly. The first is that there will be the return of Jesus will be visible by the whole world. Verse 29 to 31. The second is that there will be warning signs. That's the one you should look out for. Warning signs, but the time exactly we do not know. And finally, it will be like in the days of Noah. Jesus picks the example of Noah to say it will be exactly like that. So let me take us bit by bit. Firstly, the return of Jesus will be visible to the whole world. Definitely, 
not like the first Christmas. When he came as a baby, it was a local affair. A few shepherds saw him, they went and spread the news. Some wise men saw him, they went and spread the news. And then it was spread locally in Palestine. And that was the end of the story until he died and was raised. And then they began to tell the story to the whole world, to us now, as we know. This time around, the coming of Jesus will not be local. It will be a worldwide event. Whether you like it, you don't like it, you will see him. If you don't see him physically, you see him on your phone immediately. It's all on the internet. <laughs> it's online. You'll be watching afternoon football on Sunday and suddenly you see ping, 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 You will see. Oh boy, you will see stuff. And suddenly it will dawn on you that Father, Father Rock, Bishop Stewart, oh, Bishop Kwashi told us, boy, I won't be there. I'm gone. I'm gone. You'll be watching some stuff, and God bless you, you're watching the right things on phone. All there. You will see him, whether you like it or not. Believe me, friends. You know what? Whatever God has said that's written in Scripture has come to pass. This is no exception. And that God is bidding his time and allowing everybody to have a phone. <laughs> ah, it's, it's going to happen. It's going to happen, no matter what theologians say. Be on TV, be on the internet, online. You're watching something online. You see, the tech that we have now will walk positively. When I was in college, my professor was from America, and he said, there's no way the whole world will see the coming of Jesus. And he, is, he convinced quite a lot of people. I, I refuse to be convinced because I like my small faith. I'm not complicated when it comes to faith. My jackets can be complicated, but my faith, no. And I told him, I said, sir, God knows. At that time, our dial phones in Nigeria, you have to even pray before you get a dial, uh, 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 the, 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 the sound. You pray, 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 then you pick. That was in the 70s, that's where we were in Nigeria. And he was teaching us, and it sounded true, or at least a bit true, that's not possible. Some people would be asleep, some people, now it's the same thing. You won't believe that while I'm here, since Friday, I was having my diocesan synod. So I stay awake from 1 a.m. to 5 doing my synod. And I was preaching my synod yesterday and then rested a little bit, got up in the morning. So, but now you can do everything online. So you see him. But when Jesus comes, this is my question, what will be your state of mind? Because Jesus says, those who have hated him, those false prophets, those betrayers, those who walk evil, those who are Wallowing, and reject, wallowing in sin and rejecting the forgiveness of God, those who abuse the love of God, they will be sad. They will mourn. They will be mourned because they did not believe. And they've been caught unawares. They will mourn. The whole world 
will see him. Friends, Jesus is coming again. Secondly, there will be warning signs, verse 32 to 35. And Jesus gives us a picture of the fig tree. That's the lesson there now. There will be warning signs. And he gives us a picture of the fig tree. Ecosystems will warn us. We're already talking about that. The drive for crude oil in my country, if you are a child of God, when you see how crude oil is taken and sold to the world, you will not weep, you will cry. You will know how wicked this world can be. Nowhere in the world has the ecosystems been destroyed for getting crude oil like in Nigeria? Nowhere. Warning signs. The felling of trees for firewood. The natural environment will give us signs. And the scientists are talking about what I'm saying now, that the world cannot be sustained the way we're going. It can't. Our nutritionists now are telling us, change your diet, go back to organic, to natural. What we are eating is not healthy, it's not helping us. There are warning signs. That they've gone to Mars is only fulfilling scripture. These are all warning signs. Intellectual scientific research is confirming that the world, as we're living it now, is unsustainable. But the second warning signs is that Jesus himself said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, and you recall he said, I have come to fulfill the prophets and Moses. Jesus, John tells us, is the word of God made flesh. And Jesus is saying now that my word will remain even when heaven and earth passes away. The Bible is true. The Word of God contains all the predictions of how this world began and where it is going. It will never pass away. The Bible is a main textbook and the guide for our daily living. Every word in the Bible will not pass away. God raises people to translate the scriptures in order to warn us. The Bible gives us warning signs. The pastors who truly preach the word of God will warn people the day of Jesus is coming. The day of judgment is coming. If you don't hear those warnings, run away from that church. Jesus is coming back. The apostles preached the word. They gave the same warnings to the early church. They gave the same warnings to the early Christians that this life is a preparation for the next. There is another life. Jesus 
is coming again. But thirdly, Jesus himself now said, from verse 36 through to 44, he said, it will be like in the days of Noah. Thirty-seven and thirty-eight are his exact words. It will be like in the days of Noah, but he gives further illustrations through to verse forty-four. Jesus makes reference to Genesis six. In Genesis six, two things stand out on God's raison d'être for the action he took. The reasons why Jesus, God took the actions he took in that generation, two reasons. Number one, he said, that generation was wicked. And the word full of wickedness, verse five of Genesis six. And he says that generation was full of corruption, verse 11. It was marked by corruption, a generation that moved itself to admire and practice wickedness and permeated itself by not only imbibing corruption as a lifestyle, but making corruption the detailed daily event of community life. In my language, corruption cannot be translated in English, but corruption is described as a rotten fruit. We have plenty of fruit. We grow guavas, but when it is rotten, and it's not only rotten, it has fallen on the ground, it is rotten, and flies have gathered on it, it's good for nothing. That's corruption. Those two words are what God used to describe as his reason for wiping away that generation. That generation was merciless. Mercilessly in its politics and economic policies that oppressed and destroyed the poor. That generation was merciless in its political and economic policies that destroyed not only the poor, the environment, and deliberately caused wars and instabilities in nations and throughout the world. That generation was powerful and mighty, and they enjoyed the sufferings of the poor and the middle class. They wiped away the middle class of the world. That generation, the powerful and the political um, um, players were all so strong. What did they do? They engaged the political systems and the economic system in such a way that if you were not corrupt, you could not participate in it. And it was marked by a civilization of corruption that oppressed the poor and permeated every way of life. But in the same chapter 6 of Genesis, we see Noah chose to be different. 
And Jesus referred to Noah as a man who walked counterculturally in a society that was walking culturally to destroying itself. It was a choice. I looked at that passage, I've discussed it a lot with Gloria, because I wonder what happened to Mrs. Noah. I think about my wife often. At the time when they came to kill me and didn't find me, they found her. They, bit, they did unspeakable things to her, left her broken ribs, broken head, broken legs, and blinded. The grace of God took us to Texas, San Antonio, where people gave her free services. And after six months, her sight was restored and she got healed. And I used to apologize to her. I said, Gloria, they came to kill me. I'm the big mouth. But you took my pain. Because Noah, all he knows is that the Lord told me to build an ark. All he knows is the choice he made because three things were said about Noah. Noah chose righteousness. He was said righteous. He chose to do things right. He knows no other way to do except to do what is right. Noah was blameless, the Bible said. But Noah also walked with God. So you cannot walk with God and not be righteous and not do what is right and not be blameless. It's not possible. Noah chose to walk with God. When the whole community was walking against God. So Mrs. Noah goes to the market. And she wants to buy some tomatoes or some beef or chicken. And they would buy. They, when they saw her come and say, see the wife of that? <laughs> She's, they think they are different. <laughs> we will see. You know. And then she will come and say, hey, Mrs. Noah, things are the market. What do you want? They will still cheat her. And when she wants to complain that you sold me six tomatoes for one dollar instead of giving me seven, they say, come and get out of here. You think we're like your husband? And she will go back home. Noah, the whole market hates me. And she, it gets to the point where she's afraid to even go to the market because everybody talks about them. Noah will say, my wife, the Lord told me. The Bible says so. That's where we'll do it. Noah's children. They go to primary school. Everybody's playing football, and they would probably be very talented. And everybody would say, "You, he, this, you, your father, you, you, can we get out of here?" And he would run back home. Daddy, daddy, they are beating me because of what you are building. And he says, "Son, the Lord said so." They get to college, university. Every professor makes jest of them. Scoffers and their classmates. Hey, believers in God. <laughs> we welcome the believers in God. As they walk into the class, it gets worse. They're going to marry girls. And they did marry. The parents wouldn't even take dowry because they believe the nonsense of those children of Noah who believe the nonsense. We've never seen rain. Will it ever happen? It will not happen. Ho, 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 ho. Get out of here. Get out of here. They drive the girls in. Friends, what troubles me is 
Noah himself. How Noah's life of faith was so convincing that his wife believed him, his children believed him, and the children were able to convince their girlfriends to marry them, and the girlfriends believed, and their parents didn't believe. They also perished. Are there men in this house? Are there fathers here? Can we take our children and families and indeed communities and bring them to the salvation of Jesus Christ? That is why we are here. Jesus is coming soon. Because when Jesus comes and you're saved, your closest neighbor, your friends are not saved, how will your heaven be? Not to mention your children and your relatives. I came to the U.S., I preached, and I went back home. I didn't meet Gloria the day I arrived, and the children told me Gloria had travels to my home village, to the clan of my father. Apparently when she got there, she met another of my younger cousins, illiterate. The wife had just delivered. The water they drink there, I used to go there, I used to stay there, so I know. The water, the cleanest water, looks like um, black tea without sufficient milk. So when she got there, my younger cousin's wife had just delivered, and they went to fetch the water because the only river available anytime from October in my village, forget about water, you have to travel about five kilometers to the river. Even the water of the river looks like a diluted black tea without sufficient milk. And they brought that water to bath the new baby. Gloria said, it will not happen. She picked that young girl and the new baby and drove back to Joss. And she kept that woman and the baby for about three months in her house. But that's not the story. So she now got some of our geosciences people to go and check if we can find a, a, a well water, a borehole water, to sink a borehole. Fortunately, where the borehole water was in the whole village was on my father's land till date. Only that land has water till today in the whole village. So the whole village comes there to get borehole clean water. They went down to about 80 meters to get that water, but they actually did go to about 120 to get water. The community now has water. What Gloria said to me was what I want to share with you. She said, Ben, we have water. Your children go to school. These people have nothing. I have gathered the people. I've told them by 3 p.m., whenever time you come from America, by 3 p.m. they should wait for you. You're going to preach the gospel. Because they were pagans. So not only did she start a borehole, she dragged me to my own relatives. And I preached. That afternoon, 36 of them gave their lives to Christ. I baptized them. I baptized 36 people. And Gloria is a funny woman. 
God gives her words. You don't know where the words come from. But when she talks, you won't know when you are obeying and why. She said, then you went to America and preached people are receiving Christ and your own people are not receiving Christ. Let's go. There's a big church there now with a pastor. Friends, are we thinking? Did you hear when it was read to us that we should stay awake? We should be aware of what's happening around us and be concerned that Jesus is coming and when he comes, what shall we say? What account shall we say? What account shall we give? Noah saved his family. Noah saved the ecosystem. Noah saved the animals. Noah set an example for coming generations. No matter the insults, they hug on you. And you know some of our psychology books, they've become authority. Please, can we go back to the Bible? Can we go back to the Bible? The Bible is the best psychology book. By the way, I studied psychology in my first degree, Christian psychology, and that's how we're good friends with um, Jones and Brennan. I've read some of their books. I've read I'm Okay, You're Okay. I've read Climbell. I've read J.E. Adams. We've studied all of those things, but never forget. Very simply, Bible says, teach your children the way they should go. When they grow up, they will never depart from it. Deuteronomy 6 says, talk with them. When you're walking, when you're sleeping, sing it to them. Let your children be your friends. Men, you're the only ones who can train boys to become men. Why are we abdicating our responsibility and giving it to some school? Why are we giving it to the government? Why are we giving it anywhere else? It's your responsibility. It's your job. Noah didn't shy away from that. And he saved his family. Not only his family, he's become an example to generations. And Jesus said, it will be like the days of Noah. Let me end by asking, if Jesus should come now, are you ready? Are you ready? No nation can save you. No money, your money will be useless. No house, no degree, no certificate, no qualification. Jesus is coming. The most important thing you can do for yourself is to be ready. He will come. Paul, in warning the Romans about the coming of Jesus, he said this. Romans 8, from 13, from verse 8. Romans 13, from verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment, as summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfilling of the law. Besides, you know that the time that the, uh, and the hour has come 
for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, nor in quarreling and jealousies. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Getting ready is a character of life in the scriptures. People who are ready for the coming of the Lord and the end of time begin to shape their lives according to the promises and according to the pattern that Noah did. Jesus quoted Noah. And Paul tells us that the characteristics of getting ready is those who daily are coming to Jesus. Those who know that they are sinners and seek forgiveness of Jesus. Those who admit that the death of Jesus Christ is for them and they accept that Jesus died for them and they confess their sins to Jesus and repent from their sins, turn away from them. These have the capacity to put on the love of Jesus. It's a contradiction when you say you love Jesus and the Holy Spirit is in you, but that love is not manifest. Now, it, it's, it's a lie. It's not true. Because when Jesus takes you, he takes you because he loves you. And when he comes into you, he operates in love into your life. He doesn't condemn you, but walks through you. So when you pray the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is Jesus, and Jesus is love, and he walks in you. John says that anyone who says that he loves his neighbor, walks in darkness, is a liar. The love of Jesus is a characteristic of those who are ready, getting ready and waiting for Jesus. Because when he comes, he's going to spread his love on those who have loved but secondly, walk and live in the light of Jesus. Stay awake. Take the word of God seriously. Read the Bible once a year or twice. Get to where you will be taught and fed the word of God and making your life inwardly ready. Get rid of all self, all sin, all bitterness and put on Jesus. Verse 14 of Romans. Put on Jesus. When you put on Jesus, you will be persecuted by those who have no Jesus. But you can draw them also to Jesus. Yes, you can. While we were here, three more kids have been brought into our house. We don't even know them. We only saw them as we talked with them. We talk with the kids every weekend. I know, I, just, I said, Gloria, people just bring children to our house even when we're not there. The children are actually 74, adopted. The first set have graduated. 13 are in colleges of education. Many of them, no known families alive. The youngest is two years old. 
about five of them were born in our house. If we're not going to reach out to them, God will bring them to us. <laughs> but thank God, there's space for more. I asked some of the children, I said, why did you allow these new ones to come? Say, Daddy, let them come. We're praying for them to come. The children have themselves become so generous. I said, you won't have enough space in your rooms. No, no, we'll make space. Their hearts have become generous, wanting more to come. What do I have to give them? Jesus. That's all I have. And the only thing I can be is to be a model to them, just like Noah was to his family. Are we ready? Are we ready? Jesus is coming. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.